Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today. Our guest, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute, will be joining us. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It is May the 3rd. And on this day in 1951, the Senate Armed Services and Foreign Relations Committees meeting in closed session began their hearings in the dismissal of General Douglas MacArthur by President Harry S. Truman. The hearing served as a sounding board for MacArthur and his extremist views on how the Cold War should be fought. General MacArthur served as commander of the U.S. forces during the Korean War until 1951. In late 1950, he made a serious strategic blunder when he dismissed warnings that the People's Republic of China would enter the conflict on the side of the communist ally North Korea. Hundreds of thousands of Chinese troops smashed into American lines in November 1950, driving the U.S. troops back with heavy losses. MacArthur, who had earlier complained about uh, President Truman's handling of the war, now went on an all-out public relations attack against the president and his Cold War policies. In numerous public statements and interviews, General MacArthur criticized Truman's timidity. He also asked for permission to carry out bombing attacks against China and its war, expand the war. President Truman flatly refused, believing that the expanding of the war would lead to a possible confrontation with Soviet Union in the World War III. On April the 11th, 1951, President Truman removed MacArthur from his command. Though Truman clearly did not appreciate MacArthur's approach, the American public liked his tough stance on communism and returned home as a hero with a hero's welcome. On May the 3rd, 1951, just a few days after MacArthur's return from the United States or to the United States, the Senate Armed Forces and Foreign Relations Committees uh, began hearings in his dismissal. Partisan politics played a significant role in the hearings which were instigated by Republican senators eager to discredit Democrat administration of Harry Truman. MacArthur was a featured witness, and he spoke for more than six hours at the opening session of the hearings. He condemned Truman's Cold War foreign policy, adding that if the president's arguing that the president's inhibitions about the war in Korea had been removed, the conflict could have been wound up without a very great additional complement of general uh, ground troops. He went on to suggest that Only through a strategy of complete military destruction of the communist empire could the U.S. hope to win the Cold War. The hearings ended after seven weeks with no definitive conclusions reached about MacArthur's dismissal. However, the general's extremist stance and intemperate statements concerning the need for expanded conflict against communism during the hearings soon eroded his popularity with the American public. MacArthur attempted to garner the Republican presidential nomination in 1952, but he lost out to the more moderate campaign of another famed military leader, Dwight D. Eisenhower. The interesting story of the dismissal of MacArthur. Well, as we all know, stocks got creamed yesterday. They closed lower as shares of beleaguered banks tumbled again and worries about the economy worsened. The rising fear sent yields sinking in the bond market Tuesday while Wall Street waited for the Federal Reserve's latest move on interest rates and Washington edges closer to what would be a catastrophic default on U.S. government debt. The S&P 500 fell 1.2%, and the Dow fell 367 points. Some of the sharpest drops came from the smaller and mid-sized banks. They'd been under heavy scrutiny as the banking system showed cracks under the weight of much higher interest rates. The Nasdaq also closed down about a percent. Also pressuring the markets was a report showing that U.S. employers advertised the fewest number of job openings in nearly two years. The job market has been one of the main pillars supporting a slow economy, and a drop-off there would likely mean a recession. 
Such uh, pressures raising the stakes for the Federal Reserve, which began a two-day meeting on interest rates. The widespread assumption is that it will raise rates again today by another quarter percentage point. The widespread hope is that it will be the last increase for a long time. The Fed jacked up rates at a furious pace from earlier last year, up a range of 4.75 to 5% from virtually zero. It's trying to beat down inflation, but high rates do not uh, do that by taking a blunt hammer to the economy. High rates have already hit the housing market sharply and hurt the banking system. Many investors are preparing for a recession to hit later this year. That is, many traders betting on the Fed that will halt its rates, rate hikes, perhaps even cut them later this year. That would offer the market some breathing room, and stocks have historically done quite well in months immediately following the last rate hike. Some uh, some investors anticipate the Fed on Wednesday may not, uh, or that would be today, offer encouraging signals that the rate hikes are over. Adding worries to the top of that is the latest political spat over the nation's debt limit. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said late Monday that the U.S. government could default on its debt as early as June the 1st unless a divided Congress allows uh, it to borrow more. And of course, the House has already passed a bill to do just that. It's up to Schumer and the president to come and negotiate, uh, but that's another story. A default could mean disastrous. It could be disastrous because much of the financial system is built on the assumption that U.S. government debt is the safest investment available. Most Wall Street believes Congress will come to the deal before the deadline, as it has many times before, because the alternative would be dire. So uh, right now, the uh, futures going into today's trading are kind of flat, maybe a little bit down. So. Uh, anticipating now what's going to happen, the uh, results, the Fed uh, decision on raising rates will be made today and announced today, I think at around 2 o'clock. We'll see what happens. Well, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis advancing his tough-on-crime message by signing a new package of crime bills, including one that would allow prosecutors to seek the death penalty for some found guilty of pedophile-related crimes. He signed the bills on Monday, including one which allows for the death penalty for those found guilty of sexual battery against children under the age of 12. The package also includes the offenses involving fentanyl or fentanyl analogs legislation, which targets so-called rainbow fentanyl by instituting mandatory minimum prison sentences and other additional penalties if a drug looks like a piece of candy to a target child. The third pit law, titled Pretrial Release and Detention, targets liberal bail reform by instructing the state Supreme Court to develop a uniform statewide bond schedule by the end of 2023 and authorizing a court to revoke pretrial release, among other things. Florida is a law and order state with a 50-year record of low crime rate and Double-digit year-over-year decreases in murder, burglary, and overall crime, said DeSantis. This year, we are continuing to implement measures to protect our communities and keep Florida safe. All good decisions so far. I think that's great and uh, sends a strong message to the community. If you're a pedophile, maybe you ought to take off up north someplace. Governor Ron DeSantis sent a strong message to the executive branch of the U.S. federal government on the possible unilateral implementation of a central bank digital currency, or CBDC. Under CBDC, or the central bank digital currency, all transactions would be digitally trackable and visible to the uh, central government body. This would be tragic. It would uh, end personal freedom, in my opinion. But... Uh, I think that's what the danger of the digital currency is that, one, they want to make sure that, that, that there's a sole currency and that would get rid of crypto, he said. Uh, they don't want like crypto because they can't control crypto, so they want to put everything in a central bank digital currency. Uh, DeSantis continued, a warning that if the federal government can get away with the digital currency system, they will impose ESG and social credit scores onto that. I think he's right. I don't think Congress would authorize it, but if, if the Fed or the Treasury tries to do it unilaterally in Florida, we will have prohibition against it, the governor said. That's ensuring your financial independence and making sure you don't have a financial surveillance state where they know every transaction you're making. Well, you know what? I think that's another great decision on the part of the governor, keeping Florida free.
Finally, on the Florida front, Governor DeSantis signed a bill to prohibit state investments from considering environmental, social, and governance, or ESG, factors in public investments. Environmental, social, and governance, or ESG, is a commercial paradigm that bases investment decisions on political issues like social justice and renewable energy efforts. This would be stupid. The new law prohibits states and local governments' investments from sacrificing individual return to promote ESG investments. We want to have an economy that's based on value. That's based on the best interest of beneficiaries if you're talking about a pension fund, DeSantis said. We don't want to have an economy in which those businesses are taking those positions on political issues or using shareholder assets to take to advance ideological agenda. The law said, Financial institutions such as banks could face administrative sanctions if they deny or cancel services based on political or religious beliefs. It also prohibits banks that engage in corporate activism from holding public deposits as a qualified public depository. We don't want any banking or lending practices to be imposing an ideological litmus test on your ability to get a loan, a line of credit, or even a bank account, said DeSantis. Now, here's the Democrats' response. This is one step closer to telling every Floridian how to spend their own money, Floridians that are working hard every day to put food on the table, fill the gas tanks up, and make their own choices on how to live healthy, prosperous, and safe lives. Uh, That according to uh, Senate Democrat leader Laurent Book from uh, Davey. That is absurd. Actually, if somebody wants uh, those uh, qualifications or want that kind of information, they can get a fund uh, that includes those uh, DSG. They don't need to have everybody in the state having those types of burdens on their investment portfolios. Uh, Senator, (laughs) this is what the Democrats do. They often accuse uh, the Republicans of trying to do exactly what their stance is, which is to limit freedom which is what uh, her comments suggest. Well, the Biden administration has approved sending 1,500 active-duty troops to the southern border in the coming days amid concerns that tens of thousands of migrants will surge the country once Title 42 is lifted. Now, you may think, well, well, that's good. Maybe this they're going to do something about the border and try and protect people, protect us from having illegal immigrants coming across the border. Well, that's that's not what the purpose is. The U.S. soldiers would come from a variety of active-duty Army units and would serve in mostly administrative and transport roles to free up law enforcement and border patrol, according to uh, senior officials and deliberations. Officials said the troops' deployment would be similar to the deployments to the border ordered by former President Donald Trump. The border would uh, be armed by self-defense but would not assist with law enforcement. Borders are... Vice President Kamala Harris once ripped the Trump administration for deploying troops to the southern border, despite her administration is now doing exactly the same thing. Well, so many problems, so many self-inflicted wounds here. They're all created by the Democrat Party in this administration. It's so unfortunate. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. 
Ulubi's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Ulubi's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulubee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541 Welcome back to the Bob Harden show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, Limited Government and the Rule of Law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C. and devoted to defending private property, free markets, Securing Individual Rights and Limited Government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. We started a conversation a couple of weeks ago about the uh, overreach, executive overreach, and uh, just finishing up on executive orders. What can Congress do to constrain presidential abuse of executive orders? Well, a number of things. First, the president uh, uh, can be forced um, by using funding as a leverage and that's up to Congress. The problem there, of course, is the Senate has a filibuster, and the president could veto any bill that omitted uh, funding. But that is one alternative. Second, uh, in the face of the filibuster, the Senate majority could invoke this so-called nuclear option and change the filibuster rules uh, to pass legislation with only 51 votes. And the Democrats did that for most presidential appointments, and then the Republicans followed up and did it for Supreme Court uh, confirmations. But, you know, it's a risky tactic because sooner or later the other party regains <laughs> regains power. A third uh, possibility is to uh, for the Congress to refuse, the Senate to refuse to confirm any new judges unless the president reigns in his executive overreach. Again, that's a risky proposition. Um, Fourth, I think in most sensible, particularly in the, you remember we talked about the, the DACA case, the, uh, the uh, immigration case, uh, the Republicans uh, had the opportunity to do this back in um, 10 years ago, and that is to pass an immigration bill, uh, which included a pathway to citizenship, mm-hmm. not full amnesty, but citizenship, which the Republicans didn't like. But it also had a sizable hike in funding for border security, which Republicans did like. And it passed the Senate uh, with bipartisan support. It was 68 to 32, more than two-thirds support. Uh, but the uh, conservatives barred a vote in the House. If the, if the bill had reached the floor in the House, it would have passed uh, the House as well. But that was not to be, and so we're still faced with this immigration problem and with lots of executive orders that try to grope with that problem. So it wasn't right even brought to the to a vote in, in uh, the House. 
Right. Wow, that's amazing. So, are there? Wasn't a court case on Congress's use of its power of the purse? Yeah, we had a case called House of Representatives versus Burwell. Um, Republicans argued that Obama unconstitutionally used funds that Congress had not appropriated to subsidize insurance companies under Obamacare. Uh, the insurance companies were helping modest income insureds with uh, with uh, deductibles and with co-payments. So the administration had asked Congress to appropriate the money, uh, but Congress refused to do it. And then the administration went ahead anyway and claimed authority uh, to use a separate account that had been established for other purposes. Uh, they went to court, and the district court held that the Constitution, specifically Article One, Section 9, says that no money shall be drawn from the Treasury but in consequence of appropriations made by law. Hmm. In other words, power of the purse. So this refusal of Congress to appropriate the funds, according to the court, did not give the administration license to unilaterally order the payment of billions of dollars to these insurance companies. Well, a year later, uh, Donald Trump stopped those payments, uh, rightly so. And then, of course, the lawsuit, uh, which was pending appeal at the time, uh, went away because it was no longer an issue. But we did have that district court opinion. So interesting. So let's move to uh, the selective enforcement of federal laws. And we certainly see that. I would say good evidence of that would be what's happening on the border. But you discussed enforcement of laws not passed by Congress. What about the flip side, non-enforcement of laws that actually exist and were passed by Congress? Yeah, um, the Obamacare uh, always comes to mind since it was such an outrageous example. Uh, there was an employer mandate under Obamacare. It was originally set to begin in 2014, and then by executive edict, Obama delayed it uh, for a year and then for another year. Now, frankly, it was a good idea because it was uh, to delay it because the employer mandate should never have been done to begin with. Mm -hmm. But even though it was a good idea, it was, it was clearly illegal. Uh, the mandate required all businesses with more than 50 full-time employees to provide health insurance or pay a, pay a penalty. So the key question there was, where does con the Constitution give the president the authority to revise a federal statute by delaying the effective date? And the answer to that question is nowhere. Mm -hmm. uh, the president, he can unilaterally change some priorities, but he can't change the policy itself or the date when it becomes effective. He doesn't have uh, what used to be called a line-item veto. Nonetheless, uh, Obama went ahead because he couldn't get a, a congressional approval, so he decided he'd just do it on his own. Uh, so there's a, a, a pretty good example of, uh, of uh, enforcement of, of uh, non-enforcement of laws that are supposed to be enforced. Absolutely. And a great example of executive overreach, for sure. What about the special subsidies under Obamacare for Congress and staff members? Are those part of the law? Yeah, before Obamacare, lawmakers uh, and their staffs had about 70% of their health insurance underwritten by, the, by us, by the taxpayers. Mm -hmm. um, of course, the voters were outraged that Congress would be exempt from this, these insurance exchanges that most other folks had to use uh, under Obamacare. So the, the final text of Obamacare required that Congress uh, and staffers had to get their insurance on those exchanges. So they, that meant they would lose their taxpayer-funded subsidies, which, you know, averaged something like five to $10,000 a year yeah. uh, for each of them. And then the president, in response, uh, directed the OPM, the Office of Personnel Management, to enact a rule saying that the government could would still uh, subsidize these congressional health care uh, premiums. Wow. So, you know, I, I have no particular feeling on whether the making up for these lost subsidies was the right thing to do. But it was not a trivial matter. Uh, the members of Congress at the time were earning about $175,000 a year, and a lot of their staffers were earning 
more than six figures, and yet they got subsidies up to $10,000 per family. So those subsidies, uh, justified or not, uh, they weren't part of the law that Congress passed, uh, but Obama just decided to act with the law. He would do what he wanted to do in any event. Yeah, what a shame. Again, a great example of executive overreach. So Republicans have promised... Republicans to promise to repeal and replace Obamacare. What should be the replacement? Well, I think first uh, they should expedite competition by allowing interstate sales of health insurance. And uh, second, encourage the states to reform medical malpractice laws, which are a matter of state control, not federal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Third, eliminate restrictions on these uh, health savings accounts with high deductible coverage, which is a real answer uh, for uh, the broken system that we now have. Fourth, uh, charge more for people that enroll with pre-existing conditions. There's no reason why an insurance company should be asked to insure a house that's already on fire against fire insur- uh, possibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, fifth, I, I think uh, don't cover high-cost procedures until some period of time has lapsed after uh, after enrollment. And then finally, a mandatory uh, community service for people who show up at the emergency room and never pay the bill. Finally, uh, I think, and this, of course, is most important, change the tra- tax treatment of these health insurance premiums that discriminate against individual policies and lead us to... Uh, get all our insurance through our corporate employers. That's really the big problem involved in Obamacare. Yeah, yeah. And uh, make it patient-centric. Get the government out of the business of providing insurance and <laughs> let private Absolutely. markets solve Absolutely. the problem. Drive Absolutely. down the cost, amazingly. Bob Levy, again, Chairman Emeritus of the uh, Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website. C-A-T-O.org. Bob, just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, Andrew Jopp, a professor, interesting man, and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experience. We've got some performances coming up, and you can find out more and get tickets by visiting the very robust website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. 
We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the good, show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. We typically start our discussions on Wednesday morning with good news. Do you have any good news for us? Well, a lot of times I'm stretching for the, reaching for the good news. I think today there is really a, a story that is potentially a huge good news story as it unfolds. Uh, the Supreme Court has decided it will take up the case of Loper Bright Enterprises versus Raimondo. Now, uh, the, the specifics of that particular case are not important. What is important is that it will involve the degree of discretion that federal bureaucracies have in the manner in which they implement uh, prior legislation. Uh, at this point, there's something called the, the Chevron deference, which is essentially allowed to the federal bureaucracy their choice of actions in implementation and even in terms of interpretation of what legislation meant. This, uh, this case that's being taken up by the Supreme Court will challenge whether the bureaucracy can act independently of actual legislation in terms of its subsequent actions. Now, if that goes through and the Supreme Court rules positively in, in that case, what it will do, it will dramatically decrease the power of the federal bureaucracy. And for those people that follow this type of thing, I know you do, that would be an enormous positive uh, improvement in terms of American government, Bob. Well, it certainly would. The previous case on the EPA, if I'm not mistaken, uh, started that whole process of uh, restraining alphabet agencies to, to be making decisions, almost asking like they're lawmakers as opposed to simply uh, enforcing or, or I should say, uh, implementing the law. But, well, I uh, think that's basically what everybody who is on the, the right side of that issue, if I might, will say, is certainly there, are, there has to be choices made about uh, how things are implemented in terms of the technical, uh, the tactic that's used and so forth. But what, uh, what you're pointing out is the issue. They, in fact, are expanding on what the legislation said. They are, they are increasing its amplitude in terms of its impact. Yep. And I think they have acted in a legislative function, uh, which obviously cannot be allowed to go forward. And I hope the Supreme Court rules appropriately in this area. Oh, as I do as well. But they are demonstrating a propensity to do so. In other words, they're, they're showing their uh, conservative bent and, and uh, sticking to the Constitution. It's got nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the law. And well, I mean, I always push back when the word conservative is used when uh, the Supreme Court is merely fulfilling the law. Right. And I don't find that to be conservative. I just find it to be their, their appropriate and required role. And I'm, I'm not in any way contradicting you, but it's always been a, a sore spot to me that people describe fulfilling their responsibility and the law as being conservative. Uh, well, uh, point well taken, Andy. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, it uh, kind of demonstrates that uh, the, the intention of the, of the Constitution is to keep us conservative and keep government out of our lives. I, I think you're right. If you're going to get that legality and adherence to law, it's going to come from conservative judges. There's no doubt about that, Bob. Absolutely, Andy. Any other good news? Well, there's a good news story um, in terms of its implication. The, uh, the godfather of artificial intelligence, of AI, uh, Joffrey Hinton, has quit uh, Joffrey Hinton is, is a well-recognized name in that world of, of artificial intelligence. He quit Google uh, because of the, what he saw as the dangers of misinformation. Uh, he described the implication of artificial intelligence as being uh, an existential threat because we will not be able to tell the difference between a human being and, a, uh, and an artificial intelligence, uh, particularly if we're talking about chatbot or one of the uh, chat GPT systems. Uh, so we're looking at a, uh, and I, I find this good news, Bob, because I think the more warnings that are set up about this, the greater is the chance that there will be a, an active resistance to the, to the unlimited application of artificial intelligence as it exists right now. I, I do find that in talking to people, they really don't quite understand the nature of what this problem is. In other words, if, and uh, Hinton points, points this out, if artificial intelligence reaches something called singularity, singularity is where artificial intelligence replicates in capacity and function the nature of the human brain. At that point, 
AI will accelerate dramatically beyond that point and produce a, an intelligence, if we might call it that with quotations, that is a thousand times or more than is human intelligence. So it is that that represents the existential threat. This isn't something that is some a wide-eyed um, uh, science fiction uh, thesis. This has been well so- uh, supported uh, by Bill Joy, by, by Musk, by Stephen Hawking, by Bill Gates. Not that any one of them is absolutely correct, but I am just pointing out that this fear is a widespread fear with people who know the implications of extended artificial intelligence, Bob. You know, I'm happy you brought this up because it's, I've, I've read the same story. Uh, actually, he says says uh, that uh, he was thought the the implications of this would be all uh, delayed for 30 to 50 years. He said, but now it's happening right now. And he said, you know what? Google has actually acted responsibly, but he said that Microsoft has been hell bent to get imp, uh, implement uh, in artificial intelligence as fast as possible and the consequence is now the race is on and uh, without any uh, real regard for the ethics behind this whole issue. You know, here, here's just for your audience, because they may not be familiar with my. Uh, I use Chat GPT. You know, my wife is a big fan of the soap opera, The Bold and the Beautiful. Uh, the uh, Hollywood writers are going on strike, yeah. and so that show is probably going to be shut down. <clears throat> I asked Chat GPT to write a script for Bold and the Beautiful, and I gave it to my wife, and she said it was far better. <laughs> than the actual scripts that were being used on the show itself, Bob. Yeah, a little side note. I mean, to me, it's so ironic that the uh, uh, Screen Actors Guild is uh, going on strike, and, and with uh, all the developments of all this, they're going to literally put themselves out of business because they're lucky to have work at all, considering all the developments with artificial intelligence. Well, there, there's no doubt. I mean, I get the people who have not put their hands on this uh, I, I think do not have a full appreciation of the implication of it. Now, I think I mentioned to you previously, my son uses ChatGPT4. He's a lawyer, and it is, he says it has been the greatest uh, addendum to his work uh, that he's ever seen. So uh, this is a, a system that is integrating itself across the wide spectrum uh, of American activities. And again, this is not the one that is creating the greatest fear, the, the four. It is the ChatGPT5. And so we're looking at um, uh, poetry that could be written that would be uh, not distinguishable from hum- a human. They could write a full novel that would be documented. Uh, so we're looking at, the, uh, in many ways, the displacement of human function. And millions of jobs would be displaced with the full application of, of AI, even as it stands right now, Bob. Yeah, so there's going to be some benefits. There's going to be some real uh, tragic uh, consequences of AI. Problem is, we don't know, and it's happening faster than we can process it, and that's a problem. In other words, it's going to change our world dramatically in such a uh, with with such velocity that we will have trouble getting our heads around it. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the Aztecs when they received the conquistadors uh, in 1519 into Mesoamerica. They had no idea of the implication of the impact that the conquistadors would make primarily as a result of more advanced technologies than the Aztecs. So it's sort of a comparable situation to what uh, what can be experienced, the destruction of the Aztec Empire. It could result in a similar end result uh, for the world as a total right now, Bob. Yeah, not to take away from your point, but isn't it true that the uh, actually the part of bringing the uh, bringing disease to the Aztecs was a large part of the destruction of the system? There's no doubt they brought in European diseases, which were derivative of their close proximity to living with animals that were not part of the Mesoamerican culture. Yeah. And certainly, that was a major factor. Uh, the conquistadors also aligned themselves with uh, tribes, uh, local tribes that were antagonistic to the Aztecs. So there was more than technology. But there's no doubt that Toledo steel, uh, the, the use of, uh, of uh, firearms, uh, and so forth, these were, and, and the use of uh, protective armor, these were major uh, benefits, obviously, the conquistadors had. They took in a, an army of approximately 500 men and uh, I think about 150 horses, and by co- combining all of these things, yeah. they were able to defeat an Aztec army that is estimated to have been 100,000 men, Bob. Unbelievable. Andy, uh, great points. We need to take a break. Can you stick around? I'll, I'll be here. Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. (laughs) 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be here, Bob. Thank you, Andy. And, uh, you know, there's actually the Kennedy assassination is back on the news. And I understand also you've uh, kind of been prodded by a book that we both are reading or have read, Dr. Mary's Monkey. Such an interesting book. What are your thoughts? Well, just a fascinating book. I'll get back to that in a second. Uh, many people uh, in America regard the Kennedy assassination as ancient history. Actually, I think it's, it's current history. If we look at the, uh, the known activities currently of the FBI, the CIA, and uh, the intelligence agencies, certainly uh, I think it, it prompts a, a need for a greater inspection of exactly what happened on November 22, 1963. I, I've always had and always felt, perhaps not had, but felt a connection with the assassination. My, my first wife, uh, her, her uh, uncle, was a fellow named Happy DeCharro. Happy DeCharro was the lieutenant uh, to the head of the Southeast uh, Mafia in America, Carlos Marcello. It was always rumored that Happy DeCharro would have been the finger man if Carlos Marcello was, it was involved with the assassination. So I've, I've always felt that connection. Huh. My family is from New Orleans. I spent a lot of time in New Orleans during the 60s. So I'm just highlighting why I've, I've maintained a, an, an ongoing interest in the story from, uh, from that tragic moment forward. Huh. Uh, the book you referenced, and uh, I am almost through reading a book called uh, Dr. Mary's Monkey, sets up so many uh, incredible situations, uh, and his documentation is, is, is faultless. I mean, he documents every particular phase of this. He, he builds it around a conspiracy that took place uh, in the, um, I, I'm going to describe it as the New Orleans medical community, yeah. uh, to produce a, uh, a rapid onset cancer as a derivative of, of, of monkey virus. And I know if your audience is hearing this for the first time, it sounds exotic, it sounded that way to me. But if you look at the documentation, he also suggests in this book, that that research, the, uh, tr the trying to create a rapid onset cancer from monkey virus, was the origin 
was the origin in its early forms of the, the cancer HIV virus. So uh, that, that story in itself, totally removed from the Kennedy assassination, yeah. is a dramatic story. But getting back to the Kennedy assassination itself, what I do know, after having done a tremendous amount of research and reading over the past several months, is this. Uh, the Warren Commission set out to do one thing, to prove that Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone gunner. Now, uh, can I say absolutely that that's not true? I can't say it absolutely. What I can say is that the Warren Commission pushed aside, ignored every piece of information that would have uh, provoked a a variance from from that thesis, and I know that their intent going in was to prove that and only that. Now, amazingly, on that committee was a man that JFK had just fired as the head of the CIA. Why would you take a man that was severed from the CIA Uh to be on the Warren Commission? And that was Alan Dulles. As I did research on Dulles, uh, this is a, a true Machiavellian character. When we're looking at what was going on in 63, a tremendous level of antagonism between the, the CIA, the Pentagon, uh, and the, uh, as Eisenhower would have it, the military-industrial complex. There was no doubt that there was uh, something that went beyond just a, a, a disagreement in terms of these organizations. Now, that in itself does not prove that they were the actors in terms of the assassination. But there is a wealth of information that can link the CIA to this assassination, including including the absolutely documented alignment or involvement of Lee Harvey Oswald with the CIA. And that is beyond beyond dispute. So if your audience can just accept that one piece of information that Lee Harvey Oswald was tightly linked uh, as an operative to the CIA, that demands that this process be opened up. If we add to that, Bob, the the, uh, refusal to release the full information from the investigation, I think we're looking at what is an open legal case of murder at this point, Bob. I certainly agree with everything that you just said, and uh, frankly, it's supposed to release all of the Kennedy papers, what, uh, I think uh, two years ago, and they've now put it off for another decade. So obviously, somebody is trying to cover up uh, the release of important information that could lead to a different conclusion. Well, their, their, their excuses are just absurd. They're, tr- they're, they're saying that they're not releasing the full information because it would reveal the names of agents and field operatives and it would uh, reveal methodology used by the CIA and so forth. Yeah. And this is 60 years after the fact. Those are, are, are moot points at this point. They're, uh, they're, they're absurd. So the refusal to release the information is one of two things. Either it documents the involvement of the CIA and the wider intelligence agencies, or it directly implicates Cuba and Russia in the assassination. Now, um, one of those two things I know is true. The implication of, of, um, of Cuba and Russia was theoretically, and this is one of the theories about this, was built into the Warren Commission report uh-huh. so it would be blocked. In other words, they tried to build in what was called uh, the World War III uh, barrier. Uh, By creating this implication that it was Cuba or Russia, they knew that that information, even if it was false, would prevent the full information from being released as it would create uh, a a real potential for a state of war with Cuba and probably uh, at that point the Soviet Union, Bob. So interesting. Again, Andy, got to take a little break here. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239 325 
239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Uh, they know the politics and they know the policy. They prepare elected officials to have winning strategies going into the state legislature. I hope you visit the website and find out more. It is thefga.org, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the Always show. Always good to be here, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So uh, let's continue this conversation with uh, the JFK assassination. Why do you think there is a cover-up? Well, I think there's a cover-up in, in my estimation. If I was to ask, be asked that question you're asking, I would say it's because the, the information reveals at least strongly hints at the involvement of the intelligence agencies with the assassination. Yep. If not that, it certainly uh, repudiates by almost every measurement that Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone gunman. It may even suggest that Lee Harvey Oswald, as he positioned himself, was only a patsy in this, right. that he was only there to uh, take the blame for this incident. Now, that was laid out. I uh, revisited the, J the Stone movie, JFK. Uh, now, just for your audience, uh, for all my adult life, I have accepted the lone gunman theory, so I have not been a historical conspiratorialist. But I did go back to the Stone movie, JFK, and he lays out all of the information that we're alluding to right now, mm -hmm. including the active role of David Ferry and uh, Clay Shaw and some of the things being brought up by, by Jim Garrison. Uh, but again, I have not been a conspiratorialist as it pertains to this. Uh, there is a significant amount of information uh, beyond uh, the, the book, which is uh, dramatic, in my estimation, Dr. Mary's Monkey, another book called uh, Me and Lee, the story of a long-term love affair between a woman and, and Lee Harvey Oswald, where she, in fact, herself uh, documents, as best we can use, the word documents that Lee Harvey Oswald had no active role in the assassination and was being set up as a dupe. Uh, and there are many pieces of, uh, of information that the Warren Commission rejected, uh, all on the basis of the witness was mistaken. Mm -hmm. I just published an essay where I listed 25 specific and critical incidents where the Warren Commission did not rebut the, the witness. All they said was they were mistaken. Uh, so again, we're looking at a, an incident that is, uh, I still think, uh, is driving much of what's happening in, in America. Huh. If we look at the, uh, the activities of the CIA, the Pentagon, and the, the wider military-industrial complex, I think we're looking at that, and I think it assumed its most active role back with the assassination of Kennedy in 1963. And once again, for your audience, I can't document that, but all existing information that I've seen heads in that direction, far more so than Lee Harvey Oswald being the lone gunman. No, I totally agree with that. So uh, 
Do you want to change topics, or do you have some more good news for us? Um, well, look, this topic on Kennedy could go on for a long time, and it will. I think I'm going to uh, use it as part of our show in the future because I'm staying involved with this. This, this is something that should not uh, leave us. And I think as we move towards November of, six, of, of 2023, I think we'll have more commentary, hopefully opening, opening up on this. Yeah. Uh, let me just hint at a few uh, other somewhat good news stories, not, not as dramatic as what you've been talking to uh, talking about, but uh, once again, Elon Musk was on Bill, the Bill Maher show, uh, real time, and once again, uh, Bill Maher opened up on the woke culture. Now, uh, he was one of the major authors of it uh, back several years ago, but I think we're seeing a conversion of Bill Maher to being one of those that is seriously rebutting uh, the woke culture. So, anytime I'm seeing that kind of action, I or activity, I, that's that's good news. Yep. Uh, I mentioned this last week, and I, I hate to be involved with this Scheidenfreud uh, Freud concept, but yes, I am happy for the decline in Bud Light beer sales, now <laughs> down 26 down yeah. 26%. Uh, and there's a beer coming out right now. It's on sale right now. It's called Ultra Right Beer, which is a dramatic increases in sale. I would, I would note that the... Uh, uh, the loss of uh, sales for uh, Bud Light has been uh, defined as being a boycott. A boycott is an organized process. This is not an organized process of, of, of people rejecting uh, Bud Light. This is individual people across the nation who were felt uh, uh, ignored, uh, insulted by the direction taken by, uh, by Budweiser. So this is not a boycott. This is not a conspiracy. This is individual consumers making a one-on-one -on -one choice to uh, not buy Bud Light beer. And again, I think uh, it's perhaps not a dramatically important story, but anytime I see that kind of, of generalized pushback against the, uh, uh, the woke culture, uh, I think that's, that's good news, Bob. Absolutely. It kind of shows how tenuous the loyalty brand loyalty is to something like Bud Light or Anheuser-Busch. The fact of the matter is that Coors Light and other uh, brands have seen an increase. So it's simply a consumer saying, you know what, I'm going I'm to try something else. Yeah, I mean, this isn't moving people away from, from beer. There's no doubt about that. They're shifting loyalties. And there was nothing so dramatic in the quality of Bud Light that it demanded loyalty. So, I mean, this is a, a fairly easy shift. The uh, people involved with that industry have said they've never seen anything that remotely uh, resembles the dramatic movement away from, uh, from Bud Light beer. So I think that's, you know, I don't want to have it. people lose their jobs. I'm not of that, I'm not of that type. Right. But again, when I see pushback like this in America in 2023. That is good news, Bob. Absolutely. Uh, finally, uh, <clears throat> Tucker Carlson's uh, received an offer of $100 million over five years to run a network. Just amazing. I just wanted to get your, any, any thoughts or update well, I on think that was what? That was Valuetainment? Is that the name of that, uh, that group? Yes. Um, yeah, I, uh, at the time I saw that, I it seems to be more a grouping of podcasts, although there may be far more to it than that. But if they can come up with a $100 million five-year offer, that makes them almost like an NFL quarterback, Bob. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I still have serious doubts as to whether or not Tucker can maintain his, his impact, no matter where he goes after this. Uh, I know I'm... Uh, perhaps a single single voice in this, but I think the network broadcasts are still, cable network broadcasts are still a more powerful vehicle than anything else that, that's existed. I think Tucker moving out of Fox uh, is is going to deprive him of that 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 single moment where Americans gather at eight o'clock every weekday night. Uh, I don't think he'll have the the impact that he had, and I don't want to be redundant, but uh, uh, that's the way I see it. And other people in the industry are also expressing that same view, Bob. Yeah, no, I I understand that, but uh, I have a feeling that this is not the last word. Tucker will end up on his feet and uh, with the same impact when he fi finalizes. If he just sat on his butt the rest of his life, he's okay, Bob. I'm not worried about Tucker Carlson yeah. and his money. I'm always amazed <clears throat> when people worry about, like, for Donald Trump and his money. You know, there's there's many things to worry about. Those two things are not in the in the in the uh, list. Uh, but I am worried about uh, what he offered America. I yeah. am offered about the uh, the joining of, of minds that Tucker gave us uh, at, at 8 o'clock on each weekday night. So um, I, I'm rooting for him to find that vehicle. 
Uh, I'm rooting for him to have that impact. I do not think it will happen, Bob. Andrew Joppa, again, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show, Andy. Thank you so much for joining us. Talk to you soon, Bob. All right, thank you. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I want to remind you that Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m., Lulabee's Diner is offering not only great breakfast and lunch, but also dinner. Great uh, comfort food, but also great seafood. I had uh, the grouper the other night. It was fantastic. So I hope you'll check check out Lulabee's Diner, 4 to 8 p.m., Wednesday through Saturday evening. It's a great find. It's at the uh, Green Tree Shopping Center. I hope you'll join us tomorrow. We've got some great guests lined up as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. Dot com. <laughs>